Well, here's my question for you today. What will finally make you happy? What will finally make you happy? Have you ever experienced times in your life where you're just thinking to yourself, I just feel miserable. My life is stuck in a rut. Uh, My work just feels like a rat race. And I'm racing around a wheel that just never seems to go anywhere. Have you ever had that thought where you just kind of look into the future and you think, well, if only I could have that, then I'd be happy. Or if only I could be there, I would be happy. Or if only I could have him, or if only I could have her, I, I, I would be happy. I wonder what are you chasing after this week? As you anticipate a new week ahead, what is it that you are chasing after? What, was it, what will it be that will finally make you happy? I have to confess my guilty pleasure is watching X Factor. I know it's utter rubbish. But I'm drawn to its trashiness like a moth to a flame. And uh, it, it is fascinating to me just to see the, the total, you know, unashamed desire of what they think is going to make them happy. They want recognition. They want, they want the thousands in the audition to stand and applaud them for their voice. And if only they could win, if only they could get that record contract, oh, then they would be happy. This means the world to me, they say. And it's so bizarre to see 16-year-old boys and girls saying, I've wanted this all my life. (laughs) All their 16 years, they've been wanting this. They want the fame, they want the recognition, and, and all the financial benefits will flow from being recognized. Oh, if only I had that then my life would mean something. Then I would be someone. Then I would be happy. Well, what does God have to say about this? Well, please come with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. And page 668. And if you've been here the last two weeks, you're already starting to cringe, wondering what God's going to say through Ecclesiastes to these X-Factor contestants who are not really dissimilar to us, really. Page 668. I'm going to read from uh, chapter 1, verse 12, to the end of chapter 2. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on man. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. 
Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. I thought in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who's not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. 
What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This is God's word. Well, the teacher, he, he's devoting himself to the serious study of life. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. I devoted myself to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. There's a bit of ambiguity here whether this is uh, King Solomon, who is the teacher, or is it uh, someone who writes later reflecting on the life of King Solomon. Solomon was famed for his, his wisdom and wealth. He started well and went astray with his many wives. And so is this Solomon sort of reflecting at the end of his life, about his life? Or is the teacher offering us life lessons uh, using the example of Solomon? I guess he would be the supreme example that would fulfill many of the things of chapter 2. Either way, the teacher wants to teach us this lesson. He wants, to, he wants us to know what he has learned by his deep study as he's explored the meaning of life. I mean, what will finally make us happy? The teacher wants to say, it's not education. I don't know about you, but have you noticed that uh, if you listen to Question Time on the Beeb or listen to any questions on the radio, uh, the pundits eventually come around to saying that the answer to most problems is education. Let's educate uh, the, the children, let's educate people, and then they'll make better choices, and then we'll have a better world, and then life will be great. Well, the teacher gave this a go. Look at verse 16. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. To make your life a pursuit of knowledge and wisdom as the meaning and purpose of your life is like chasing after the wind. The more knowledge you have uh, can simply increase the amount of sorrow and grief that you have. Because we observe that um, the world is, is beautiful, but it's broken. To try and grab hold of uh, life's meaning by pursuing education is like trying to grab hold of the wind. And you look in your hands and there's absolutely nothing there. We look at this beautiful but broken world and we realize that actually there are some things that we just simply cannot fix. That can't be changed. 
Look at verse 15. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. So for those who think that that life will be transformed through um, the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge, well, the teacher warns us, it's, it's a wild goose chase. And there's no goose at the end of it. He tried it. It didn't work. The pursuit of degrees, of of learning, of life experience will just not make us happy at all. It'll actually, more likely, make us sad. The more you study, the deeper you go. I mean, basically, the end of a doctorate, you discover all the questions you don't know the answers to. You have a whole host of more questions. I saw a, a program about uh, exploring space, and they're just saying these amazing telescopes are, de- are appearing further, further into space. But the more that they're, they're, they're learning, the more they realize they don't understand. Now, the teacher says, don't think that exploring, that, that grabbing hold of, of education is going to give meaning to your life. It will not work. Secondly, uh, pleasure will not work. He decides, verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, I'm going I'm to test myself with pleasure. Uh, let's live to squeeze the maximum pleasure out of life that you possibly can. And see if that gives meaning. I guess many students at university are trying to do this uh, at the same time. They're trying to explore the education route and maximizing pleasure uh, as much as they can at the same time. Well, the teacher wants to say to you today, uh, listen up. It is a foolish, meaningless attempt. I mean, you can think to yourself, well, wouldn't it be great um, if basically um, I filled my life with laughter? Wouldn't that be fantastic? I mean, basically, if all the time I could go to uh, a comedy club uh, and, and watch comedy shows and just be laughing all the time, wouldn't that be brilliant? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if, if like, my best friend was Michael McIntyre and John Bishop, and whenever I felt a bit low, they could tell me some funny stories about couscous or things like that. And I would be laughing in my head. Wouldn't that be great? That would, that, that would really make my life work if I could just be laughing all the time. Wouldn't that be great? Well, a moment's reflection tells you that would be pretty tragic, wouldn't it? Be foolish, says the teacher. I mean, comedians offer you temporary relief, but going around laughing all the time is a sure sign of madness, isn't it? Alcohol! Yes. This is what will make my life work. Alcohol. That's what the teacher said. Uh, Verse 3, I tried myself, uh, cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. Well, cheap booze. Drink my fill. That's going to make my life great. That's going to give it meaning. That's going to give it purpose, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to buy the, the cheap five-pound bottle of wine at Tesco's, but always buy a bottle that was about 100 to 200 pound? The smoothest, best wine. If I could drink that all the time. Wouldn't that be great if every mealtime I could have a thick steak and a great bottle of wine? That would make my life work, wouldn't it? That would make it great. Wouldn't it be great if every lunchtime I could go uh, to uh, you know, visit top restaurants? What if I could go to Martin Wishort's uh, Michelin-star restaurant every mealtime? 
And when the wine list came around, I didn't go looking for the cheapest bottle to not embarrass myself. I went for the most expensive bottle. That would make my life great, wouldn't it? That would really give it meaning. Or what if I could be one of those people on Grand Designs? You know, with their great project, building the ultimate home. Maybe it's the ultimate eco-home if you're sort of like reading The Guardian. Or maybe it's, it's your ultimate mansion. Wouldn't that be great? Design your own house, build it exactly how you wanted it. You could have the perfect kitchen. And the perfect kitchen would not have one dishwasher. Oh no, it would have two. Because I went filled up the first, what am I going to do with a dirty place? I need the second dishwasher. And wouldn't it be great? I mean, imagine building your perfect like bedroom situation. I mean, where you've got a bedroom and, and off one door you've got his sort of changing clothes room walking through to his bathroom and, and hers in the other direction. Wouldn't that be great if I could have that? Wouldn't it be great if I had such a big house that I could put my noisy kids in the other wing? Oh, that would make life worth living. That would give it meaning. That's, that's what would make life work. Actually, wouldn't it be great if we had a bit of acreage, a bit of land? A large house maybe looked a bit like Downton Abbey, surrounded by walled gardens, you know, with uh, vegetable gardens and fruit gardens and, and maybe a little forest and a stream and a view of a mountain. Oh, that would make my life worth something. That, that would give its meaning. That, that would make me happy, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great to have a ride-on mower? Oh, that would be great. I'm tired of pushing a mower. I'd like a ride-on mower with a little drinks holder by the side so I could drink and cut the grass and look at the view. That would make my life work. Actually, better, wouldn't it be great to have servants to cut the grass? That would really make my life Something special. Make me happy. Wouldn't it be great to have so much land that you actually had tenant farmers? I mean, so you could go and, and walk around in tweed jackets. Whoops, okay. And, and, and you could walk in and say, oh, what's the price of uh, milk these days? And how are the calves carving? And, and you could pretend to be a gentleman farmer, but never have to do any of the back-breaking work. That would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, that would make you happy, wouldn't it? Imagine if you had like a stables and like the best horses and someone to groom them and whenever you clicked your fingers and would just come around with a horse and off oh, you could ride over your lands and do whatever you want. Wouldn't that be great? That would make your life worth it, wouldn't it? And wouldn't it be great to have a posse? I mean, I, I, it's funny, uh, you older people don't know what a posse is, but if you see uh, some of these of, uh, young hip-hop stars, they all walk around with their friends, they've got a posse. And so you're never alone with the posse. Your posse always go with you. And they're there to make sure your life's great. Keep reminding you how great you are. You're great. Yeah, I am. I'm great. Well, that would make my life happy if I had a posse. Someone who always made my hair look great all the time. That would make my life something. And, And wouldn't it be great to have so much money I mean, that, that all your investments always worked. You always generated more money. It was never a problem. And you basically could buy any of the toys out there you wanted. Forget your Ford Fiesta. You could have a Lamborghini. 
forget that. Let's have a classic garage of all the classic cars from the 1950s and 60s, all MOT'd, all insured, so that any time you could jump into them and just drive around, and people go, whoa, look at him. Wouldn't that be great? That would make your life great, wouldn't it? And wouldn't it be great to be entertained all the time? I mean, in, in Solomon's time, uh, you didn't really have MP3 players or Sonos sound systems. Uh, you actually had to have live musicians. And, uh, well, wouldn't it be great if you could just uh, have that entertainment on hand all the time? Wouldn't it be great if at your party you could have your favorite band, your favorite singer? I don't know what it is for you. Um, you know, would it be One Direction? I don't know. Or, or Adele or Mumford and Sons. For me, I'd love you too. I'd love to be able to have you too at my, at my party and I give them the song list. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be fantastic. Well, the teacher tried all of those things. All those things, the equivalent in his day. Even had a, a harem. Wouldn't it be great if you had every sexual desire satisfied any time you wanted. That would make you happy, wouldn't it? That, 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 would, that, that would give you a fulfilled life. Well, that was the experiment that the teacher conducted. And look what he discovered, verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless. Remember our old friend? It's there and it's gone. It's meaningless. A chasing after the winds. Nothing was gained under the sun. The the teacher wants us to know this because in our heads we kind of still think, actually, if I did have all those things, it really would change everything. And the teacher wants us to see. No, it, it, it is utterly empty. The pursuit of pleasure as the meaning of life is a, is, a, is a root of diminishing returns and it is absolutely empty. It is like chasing the gold at the end of the rainbow. It is, it is trying to grab hold of the wind and think you've got something in your hand. That's the testimony of the teacher. And it is the testimony of many others who've been honest enough to tell their stories. Uh, Kenneth Williams uh, was a comic that only would be known by older members in this church. Um, He died in 1988. He had much acclaim, money, and success from uh, all sorts of things. And you saw sometimes see some of his weird movies on TV. And he they 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 had his diaries after he died. And uh, one of his diary entries says this. I wonder if anyone will ever know the emptiness of my life. And his last ever entry before he committed suicide, most likely, was this. Oh, what's the point? What's the point? Tom York, who um, is of the band Radiohead, was asked why was it he continued to make music even though he'd already achieved the success he hoped for. And he said, well, it's filling, it's filling the hole. He said, that's all anyone does. And then he was asked, well, what happens to the hole? And York replied after a long pause, it's still there. Or Barry Humphreys, uh, the Australian uh, man who created the character Dame Ed Everidge and others, 
who played to massive audiences in Australia, UK, and the US. He entitled his autobiography, More Please. And this is what he said. I always wanted more. I never had enough milk or money or socks or sex or holidays or pleasure or neckties or applause or unquestioning love. Of course, I've had more than my fair share of most of these commodities, but they always left me with a vague feeling of being unfulfilled. Where was the rest? But you might be thinking to yourself, well, maybe I can accept that, but it would be better to to be a bit wise, wouldn't it? It'd be better to have some possessions. And that's what the teacher addresses in verses 12 to 17 of chapter 2. And he says, well, no, there's... There's no meaning found in wisdom. There are some temporary benefits. Look at verse 13. Uh, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The man has eyes in his head while a fool walks in darkness. Well, yes, you know, the, the wisdom can help you avoid some trouble in life. But in the final analysis, the wise person still dies just like the fool. And he's remembered for about a generation, and then he's gone. He's equally forgotten. And there's no no meaning found in possessions in verses 18 to uh, 23. After you've worked and toiled so hard to get all your house paid off and get all your possessions in them, the day you die, guess what? You leave it all behind. You take nothing with you when you go out in the box. Nothing. And who knows, you might leave it to somebody who really is totally undeserving of it. Verse 20, my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. Verse 23, all his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. And the teacher wants us to face facts. The pursuit of wisdom and wealth as the meaning of life is futile and empty. To pursue pleasure and possessions as the purpose of our lives is an empty and foolish pursuit. It is a wild goose chase and there's no goose at the end. And yet this is really what is driving our society. In fact, the, the, the great problem at the moment is that people aren't going for it enough. And so the government's trying to work out how can it encourage us to get back into growth and buying more and more and more because of this myth that this is what life is really about. Now, if you've been listening to the teacher the last couple of weeks, you know what he's about. He's poking a sharp stick into us to provoke us to face the reality of our lives. And he's doing that not so that we'll despair. He wants us to face facts so that we will fear God. Focusing on pleasure is a sure route to emptiness. But the teacher wants us to know that if we focus on worshiping God, who is the creator of all these good things, then one of the byproducts is is that we can know pleasure and satisfaction in life. It is not an utterly hopeless book, Ecclesiastes. Look at verse 24, a surprising note of optimism. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? At a time when the farmers are bringing in the harvest, 
This is a pretty good verse to look at, isn't it? A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work because this too is a gift from God, is from the hand of God. So you see his point? Pursuing pleasure for the sake of pleasure is utterly empty. And yet pursuing God, you will actually find daily pleasures. For he's the one, as it says in verse 26, who gives wisdom, he gives knowledge, he gives happiness to the one who pleases him. And the great issue then is, is to know, well, how, how do I please God? Uh, we, we have a lot of guests that come through our house. We had a couple of Australian girls at the beginning of this week. And uh, they, were, they were very well behaved. It was good to have them. But imagine with me that uh, you have some people who come to stay at your house. They're guests in your house. And, um, you know, you, you put a lot of effort into your, your, your meals. And you tell them when food's going to be. And they, they turn up an hour late. And all the food is dried out and gone. And when they eat it, they just say, you're a rubbish cook. You're rubbish. This house is rubbish. And, and, and they just sort of just kick your chairs and they, they're rude to your kids. And, and, and they just, this is a rubbish house. And, 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 they, and they go out and say, we'll come back when we fancy. Come back in the middle of the night, make an awful noise, wake up the whole family. You're just nightmare guests. Well, that's a little picture, really, of of the reality of what we've been like in God's house as human beings in this world. We, we take all his good gifts and yet we fail to acknowledge him. We fail to give thanks to him. Uh, we trash his world. Uh, we're rude and obnoxious. And the point is we don't please God. How is it that we can please God? Well, you have to read on in the Bibles and, and find out that God in his grace has come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And he came to reconcile us, thankless guests, to reconcile us back to the Father. He came and, and bore the cost of, of all the things that we trashed and ruined. He bore the cost himself in his own death upon the cross. And he's made a way that we can be reconciled to God, forgiven and restored and enjoy this God. Uh, can you imagine uh, kids in your community just coming into your house and completely ignoring you and just wanting to come in to play on your Xbox or your PlayStation? They just, and they just completely they just ignore you all the time, but they, just, they, they only like you because they like your stuff. And they, they hog it all the time and they use it and abuse it. That's kind of what we're like as humanity. God in his grace has come to help us reorientate ourselves and say, look, the privilege is knowing the giver and not just clinging on to the gifts. By, by putting our worship and our reverence of God as the center of our lives, then everything else in this life is, is put in the right perspective, in the right place. And this is exactly what Jesus taught us as we read in Matthew chapter 6. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The, the chapter was about being worried about what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What, what clothes am I going to wear? That rat race, that chase of life. And, and Jesus says, well, don't don't worry about it. Don't, don't live for those things. Don't live for money. 
Worship God. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. So, you know, all these things come alongside with that. A man can do nothing better, says the writer, says the teacher, than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work when he sees that all these things are good gifts from God. And the tragedy of always living for some future time, some future day where our life's going to suddenly come together and then that we're going to be happy is that we fail to recognize all of God's gifts that he gives us day by day out of his bountiful kindness. Our thanklessness blinds us to the generosity and goodness of our great God. And of course, we can go through life just thinking, well, on that big day, you know, retirement, that'll be it. I'll, I'll work hard now, and then, and then I'll retire. And people work so hard that the retirement is a, is a year, and they die quickly because they, you know, delaying that day, I'm living for a future day, just doesn't work, the right Ecclesiastes says. Enjoy today as you worship God. This is what Paul told Timothy in First Timothy, for everything Created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now we find this hard to believe, but this is the truth. Godly contentment will beat hedonistic consumerism for true lasting joy. I mean, you can knock yourself out trying to prove it wrong, but you'll find it that that is the truth. Augustine worked this out 1,500 years ago in his, in his uh, famous piece, The Confessions. And in the first, few, uh, the first paragraph, he says this. He wrote about God. You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Have you found your rest in God through putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the offer's there for you today. Come to Christ. Put your trust in Him. Receive His forgiveness. Receive His reconciling work. And you can find your rest in God. Our hearts are restless until they find our rest in the God who made us. Charles Simeon, uh, the great Cambridge preacher, said this. There are but two lessons for the Christian to learn. All right? If you like it simple, there's only two things you've got to learn as a Christian. Number one, to enjoy God in everything. And the other is to enjoy everything in God. Did you think every morning this week about the verse from last week? Your labor... And the Lord is not in vain. Did anyone think about that? I, I want to give you a new thought as you wake up this week. Uh, it's, it's a great verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Next screen, I think. And again. The Apostle Paul says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And if that verse is too long, just remember this. Do it all for the glory of God. What a great thought to wake up to every morning this week. Whatever you're going to do that day, do it all for the glory 
of God. There are such wonderful gifts that we receive from his hand every day as we walk step by step with this gracious, loving, awesome God who gives good gifts to us every day. Get out of the rat race and live for the glory of God. Let's pray.